Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome to the In the Beginning podcast. My name is Pastor George Gray, and I'm your host. Now, over these next couple of, of uh, podcast releases, I'm going to be doing something just a little bit different. Um, I had a bunch of questions submitted by some uh, by a few viewers, and so uh, what I did is I invited a bunch of friends in, and we just sat down at a table and just kind of talked about them. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, we recorded in a couple different locations, but uh, so we're going to start off today with a couple different questions, um, but uh, without wasting a whole lot of time, here we go. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you do, uh, like and subscribe, uh, leave a comment, and uh, yeah, thanks for being here. Sound better. Um, so, uh, so welcome everybody to the In the, Be- In the Beginning podcast. My name is George Gray. I'm your host. I am here with some friends, and we're going to be talking about some questions by viewers that have been submitted. We're going to be dealing with these a little bit today. So uh, you guys know who I am, so I'm going to walk around the room and introduce everybody else. Uh, way over here to my left is Dan Mosier. Uh, Dan works on cows. <laughs> yes, and I'm here because I married the right woman. <laughs> no, I, I uh, work on a local dairy farm. It's a family farm. Um, it's actually my uncle's farm, and I drive a little truck, and I've been attending River of Life Church for, I believe, 17 years now. And, um, and so, yes. And before that, I grew up in the Mennonite Church, which was also very solid biblically. So. Excellent. And immediately to my left is uh, Abel Larkin. Abel Larkin is the assistant pastor at my church. And uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I teach uh, math at a local high school. Got a wife, three kids. Been going to River of Life for 11 years now. Um, And they, you know. Yeah, they hired me to be assistant pastor because I was the only one who could match George's humor point for point. So. <laughs> and then nobody else would take the job. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's how I get a lot of positions, really. Hey, we, we don't have enough people to say yes. You want to do this? Uh, sure, yeah, why not? Um, and, and to my right is Serge. Uh, Serge is, um, well, I, we met um, about a year or two ago couple of years or more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um so we've uh connected a few times and it was it was always a lot of fun. So when whenever you whenever we would finish up church and you'd have questions for me and it it was awesome and uh, and your wife would limit you to one one question or two questions for each, for each day. <laughs> it was such a such a great thing, but he's got such a great perspective on uh and uh on on biblical truth and a desire to understand biblical truth. Um so I wanted to include him in this in this discussion cuz he always brings something really interesting to the table. Um, so what we're going to be do, what we're going to, what we're going to be do, what we're going to be do is, so what we are going to be doing here today is, uh, dealing with these questions kind of, uh, one at a time, kind of taking them apart and figuring out what we need to be doing for each of these. Um, but, um, so why are we trying to do this today? What is, what is the goal of this? Is it just, you know, um, us sitting here trying to, to prove to everyone how smart we are? Um, or is there actually just a purpose behind this? And there is a definite, uh, purpose behind this, um, uh, the thing that made me want to start asking people to submit questions is the amount of uh, uh, what I'll just say deception in the in the modern uh, in the modern evangelical charismatic church. Uh, it seems to be it's not just that section of the church; it's really rampant throughout the entire church. But um, the the evangelical church seems to be a little bit more susceptible to it than uh, than some others. Maybe it's because we tend to be a little bit more uh, I don't want to say open minded, but I I. I can say a little less discerning in our uh, uh, in our uh, biblical applications, and so you find a lot of people uh, walking away from the evangelical church because they've attached themselves to something different, you know, something new or something shiny has come along, and all of a sudden it's distracted them, and they started moving away into a different direction, uh, and and that becomes very difficult. And a lot of these questions actually 
are, are around that particular topic, things that have led people away from the Lord. And so we wanted to deal with some of these and try to help people stay a little bit more grounded because Jesus doesn't say to go into all the world and uh, make, you know, get people who are going to call themselves Christians. Jesus said go into all the world and make disciples. So discipling is a, it's an intentional act. It doesn't happen by accident. You know, you don't just go to a church and become a disciple. Um, you have to want to be disciple, which means you've got to be willing to let go of what you used to be and to attach yourself to things that are new and to, to learn and to develop and grow. And this, is, this becomes a very important process. But if we're not willing to at least question things, then that creates a different issue. So um, so people have submitted these questions over the last, uh, oh, probably three or four months. Um, and so let's, uh, let's, let's dive right into this because I think this is, some of these are pretty interesting. Um, so the first question has to deal with the idea of salvation. There's a, there was a bunch of them around the topic of salvation, and I wanted to kind of lump a bunch of these into the same process. But it basically came, came across like this. I was talking to a person at my church, and, uh, and, the, and people who have walked away from the faith came up in the conversation. Um, and the person I was talking to basically, you know, tisk tisk tisk. Um, it's not possible. What they said was, it's not possible for people to walk away um, or for a believer to walk away or lose their faith. So once you're a believer, you're always a believer. You don't have the option to walk away. Once saved, always saved. That kind of a thing. And the the, the lady was kind of taken back, like she didn't know how to. She didn't know how to answer that question, so she asked me, you know, is this, is this really true? Is this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, there, is there a biblical precedent for this, you know, or is it, is it possible to, to walk away from your faith? This is a really old question. You know, it's been around, I think, as long as people have been, been, uh, been debating faith, but the, the question is always around uh, two basic topics, um, and it is either Calvinism, which means you're chosen, uh, you, you don't actually get saved on your own. God chooses you to be saved or free will. There's a lot of different terminology that gets used to couch this particular conversation, but it all bases around that same thing. You're either chosen or you have free will. How, do, how did you come to faith? Um, now, we definitely do not have time to go through all the tenets of Calvinism today because <laughs> um, that would take way, way long. Um, but um, if you want to listen to a really interesting guy on YouTube, his name is, I think it's Leighton Flowerton. Um, he has a, uh, a website or a YouTube page called Soteriology 101. He does a really, really good job with this particular topic. Uh, just so that you know, I am not a Calvinist, um, but uh, it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, uh, I don't have any animosity towards people who are. That's 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 their their view. We all have to come to the conclusion of to where we sit in this particular debate. So, but it basically breaks down like this: the short, short version, the short, short version, um, is that uh, from the Calvinistic viewpoint, is that if you are saved then you are saved because God selected you for salvation from the foundations of the earth. Um, and you are among what is known as the elect. Um, and therefore, your salvation, and, and this, is, this is the fundamentals of the view, um, your salvation is not a choice that you make. It's a choice that God made. Um, and therefore, you have no say in your own salvation. Now, there's some Calvinists who will debate that issue. They say, well, that's not exactly what it, what it means, but when you actually boil down the, the, the fundamentals of Calvinism, that's exactly what it means. Um, and that's that, to me, that's, that's the problem. But back to the basic idea. So, um, so you have no say in the matter. God chose you for heaven, and he, God chose other people for hell. Um, so if you're chosen, there is no way for you to walk away. That's, that's the basic tenet of that. So if you are chosen, you cannot 
physically walk away from, from your faith. Um, now, if you are not among the elect, then the opposite is also true. Then you have one destination at the end of your life, and that is that is judgment and, and hell, and there is nothing you can do to get out of it, period. You have been chosen for eternal punishment. I, I, I have a problem with that. <laughs> this is just, just myself. Especially considering it would put you out of a job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, at one point, at some point, you just got to decide whether, you know, why, why evangelize. Um, but now, but this, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance around this particular issue, but the underlying assumption of this view is that if you walk away, then you were never truly saved. Mm -hmm. That's the fundamentals of, of the argument. Then, because you have to remember salvation is not about you. You don't have a say in it. It's not choice. Um, it is up to God to save you and. There's so many different pieces to it. Like I said, we can't get into them all today. But, but that's the fundamental question is, uh, is there precedence in Scripture for someone who can accept the goodness of God, the salvation of God, and then decide to just to, to walk away from it? I mean, do you have that choice? Or is it once you're, once, you're in, you know, once you're in Hotel California, you can check in, but you can't check out kind of a thing? I mean, what is, what is, this, <laughs> what is this idea? So go. What do you guys think? Pastor Lurkin, can you open us? In <laughs> <laughs> can you open us in prayer? <laughs> um, yeah, I'd just like to say something first. Um, to be fair, when we say we're not Calvinist, we all have um, incredible theologians and preachers that we look up to that are Calvinists. We're not saying yep. they're heretical or anything like that. Yep. Yep. You got people like John MacArthur, John Piper. They are hardcore Calvinists. Um, um, Vody Bauckham, yeah. you know, uh, Sproul, they're hardcore Calvinists. Like, and I, I appreciate all their teaching. I just don't, uh, I can't align myself in, 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 on that particular topic. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the cool thing is, is as long as you know, you know, like people have told me, you know what, John, Cal John, uh, you know, John MacArthur is a Calvinist, so I can't listen to him. Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> well, why not? Yeah. Just understand that he has this view, and when you see it, at least you'll be able to recognize it, and you can kind of filter what he's saying through that, uh, through that, through that ideology. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have have faith right. in Christ. It doesn't mean you're not going to see him in heaven. I think some of the the so-called heroes of today's theological world are found in these people you know when it comes about expository preaching of the scripture i think they they lead away in a lot of in a lot of terms but again i don't think we clash with them in the matters of actual salvation no. right mm -hmm. of, of the matters of five solas yeah exactly uh, uh when it comes about reformation yep. so yep yeah reformed theology is actually a really really fundamentally sound area of theology that just most of the people in the reform camp tend to be you know tend, tend to kind of view calvin on the level of paul you know mm -hmm. um i just i just don't i think calvin was a brilliant man i just think he was wrong on this particular topic mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but so um so uh, well i think calvin uh or the the concepts of calvinism pull from really one location they pull a lot from romans that, mm -hmm. That's really where they're centered. Yep. Um, and if we look at other scriptures, we find things that contradict that limited reading of scripture. Not that there's anything wrong with Romans, but it's really easy to get the wrong idea if you take one small section of scripture and focus your entire theology on that. Mm -hmm. And so we read um, things like Hebrew 6, 
that say mm-hmm. it's very difficult for someone who has once tasted the spirit and walked away that if they've tasted the spirit if they've been you know in fellowship with the holy spirit that is a salvation issue that he's talking about there and then have fallen away and yeah. it's very difficult to restore them to the faith so you've got somebody that was a believer walked away very difficult to restore them back but yeah. they could yeah you got uh, in Revelation when when Jesus is speaking to the churches, he says to the church in, in, in Sardis, he says, uh, the victor will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life. Well, why would he mention, I'm not going to erase their name from the book of life, if it wasn't a possibility that he would erase their name from the book of life? Yeah. yeah. Somebody who was once written in there, somebody who was once saved, mm-hmm. but walked away. Yep. Yeah, now listen to these, these scriptures. So you got Matthew 16, 24. Um, so Jesus says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's a, a fairly innocuous section of scripture, but if you, if you look at that from the standpoint of, of election or choice, so desire, says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, desire is a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, you choose to desire. To deny yourself is an act of will. Right, mm-hmm. that's a choice. Take up your cross. That's an act of will. Follow Christ. That's an act of will. So, in one in one sentence, Jesus is taught, gives us four examples of an act of will of the individual. You have a choice to follow me or to not follow me. It becomes very difficult to to see it in, in other in other ways. Um, how about this one? Uh, John three fourteen through 17 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, uh, through him, uh, that the world through him might be saved. Mm-hmm. That's a, those are a lot of conditional phrases, you know. But what if I said, Jesus spoke, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Is this addressing believers? Yes. But that's his side. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about if we, are, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, Second Timothy. Mm-hmm. Still his side. Still his side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's 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 the, that's the challenge. You know, okay. um, there's but what is he faithful to in that case? What are, what are we? He's faithful to his own nature and to his promises, mm-hmm. and he also promised just as much as he promised salvation. He also promised consequences. He also promised eternal punishment for those who didn't accept him. If any branch does not produce fruit. It's cut off and thrown into the fire. Okay, so that's a warning passage. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, how about, how about this one? First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart mm-hmm. from the faith, um, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You can't depart from yeah. something you're not part of. So it know. is possible to become an apostate if you were once a true believer. If you're not a true yeah. believer, it's actually impossible to become an apostate. Yeah. You think an apostate has to be someone who was a believer. Does Judas Iscariot fall into this category then? I would think so. I mean, he was chosen. 
you know, for the task that he had, but I think he was chosen because he was a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he had, a, he had enough of the, he had enough wickedness in him mm-hmm. that he, he, he wouldn't stay true to, to the one to whom he was following. Mm-hmm. But you also got to remember that when Jesus sent the disciples out and they went about healing and, mm-hmm. and, and preaching and casting out demons, he was one of those. Yep. And so we, it doesn't say all of the disciples went out except for Judas because he was a scumbag who was going to betray <laughs> Jesus. It said he sent out the 12, yep. he, he being one of them. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to reconcile that, you know, because yep. like you want, I would so love to just be like, I'm saved. There's nothing I can do to become unsaved. <laughs> yeah, this and would be that, so great. If that's the case, then what's what's the point of Paul saying work out your faith with with fear, fear and, and trembling? trembling? Like if if I have my salvation and I can't lose it, what's the point of all this work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the the language there is important too because we we talk about losing salvation, and I think it's more of the uh, of laying it down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like no one can no one can take God from yeah. you. You know, when it says you, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. God's not going to. God does not let us go you know as, as far as like you know the devil's so much stronger than, than God he just pulls him out of his hand but there's there's a point I think at which we just we just walk away you know I have well <laughs> okay so I disagree with everyone here <laughs> that's and that's awesome. totally fine uh, yes um, so yes throughout my upbringing I was taught that you could lose your salvation and also, this is what I've heard. And yeah, I've always leaned to you cannot, not saying that I know the answer on this, but um, you reference no one can snatch you out of my hands. So I'm Dan Mosier, just a normal guy. What draws me away, I'm, let's say I'm neutral, what draws me away is my sinful flesh, mm-hmm. it's temptation of Satan, and the world. None of those things are stronger than God. When we are put in God's hand, not one of those things can draw us away. The Bible says nothing can separate us from God. Um, In Romans, Ephesians, it says you are sealed. And it goes on to express how the moment that we are saved, we are sealed. And it's so hard to interpret what does this scripture say Mm -hmm. in accordance to what that scripture says. But... You know, I think of, I'm not a superhero movie guy, but God shows up, everything else is defeated immediately. Mm-hmm. I think, obviously, a person can fall into sin and, and, and live in sin. But if he lives long enough, I think there's a reconciliation. Um, I think of the story of King Saul... You know, he he sacrificed before Samuel got there. Samuel said, God has removed the kingdom from you. Uh, Saul started out great. He was, you know, when he was anointed, he went out prophesying. Mm -hmm. Um, He had the gift of prophecy came upon him and and, uh, started out tremendously. And then he just spiraled out of control, um, was seeking a seer of some sort. Um. And, and it became clear that his motive, though well-intentioned at the beginning, was never about serving God. It was his own power because he came so, became so jealous of David. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But how can a man who started out so strong was prophesying for God, and then you turn back to the New Testament, and and we read that, um, I forget what the verse is, I think I wrote it down, but it says, you know, some people have prophesied in my name, and I once knew you, and now I don't know you no more. Yep. No, it says, I never knew you. So just because someone sounds wonderful in church and then leaves, did God actually ever know them? Um, the the section of scripture that you referenced where t- or Abel referenced, I tasted and seen. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Yeah, that is a difficult scripture for someone from my perspective because it's obvious that person, yeah. you know, you can't say as a Calvin, well, he tasted but didn't. No, that is obvious that person was in the Christian life. Yeah. There's a specific part of that verse that actually uh, sticks out to me. It says, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift yes. have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that word in Greek actually means one who has received from. Yes. Um, and have tasted of the good work and the powers of the age to come if they fall away. And this is, this is a line that, that, that gets me. It's to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves, the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. That's that's the part where I go, hmm. So did they, so I, I specifically listened to a speaker on this because I was like, how do you reconcile that? Yeah. Is it something that, okay, you fell away and God cannot use you like you hope, he hoped, but you still have salvation, or did you actually lose your salvation? The the passage crucify again for themselves is is the issue there. Because the, the crucifixion can only happen once, you know. There's one, Christ died once for all, and that's 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 kind of the uh, that's kind of the problem. Because what you're what he's saying is, you cannot be renewed to repentance, which means the gift of the newness of life that was get, that was brought to you, that rebirth of the spirit, um, was in in essence negated. And the only way to bring that spirit back to life is the the, the crucifixion of Christ. And essentially, what he's saying is that has happened. You tossed it out and now you want you now you want Jesus to die for you again and no it's just not going to happen now where that line is I don't even want to guess you know I, I don't even want to think about where that line is um, but it pretty much is clear that somewhere along the line that can happen yeah well we could go back to Romans too um, so in Romans when Paul is talking about um, Israel rejecting Christ. He talks about mm-hmm. it as a as an olive tree, and some branches were cut off through their own rebellion. That was the Jews, and then we were grafted in mm-hmm. as Gentiles. But then he also says, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, this is in chapter eleven, verse seventeen, and you, though a wild olive branch, that's the Gentiles, were grafted in among them. So these are the Gentile believers that have been grafted in. And have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. Do not brag that you are better than those branches. So he's talking about Gentile believers being grafted into the body of Christ, being grafted into what what we would call the elect, those that are saved. But if you do brag, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Remember, it's, it's not Christ that needs you, but you that needs him. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. 
True enough. They were broken off by unbelief, talking of the Jews, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. And here's where, here's the point I'm getting to. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jews, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, if you remain in his kindness. So these are those that have been grafted into the body of Christ. God is kind towards them in in making them a part of the body, if they remain. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in. So he's speaking here of those that have become part of the body of Christ, but could still be cut off. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, that's what I mean. Like there's, there's, there's enough on both sides of this argument to, to give someone pause. But like my, I come back to it. My thought is why, why put, why, why play the game? I would see many times we can jump back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Line. I would. I would rather live like you know. Um, I might want to just keep myself together, and um, and and be okay, rather than convince myself that I'm in some group of you know, um, oh. specially crafted people. You know what I mean? I'd rather just be afraid. <laughs> if I can bring one more scripture, um, I don't know which side is this going to speak for. Sure, probably more Calvinistic side. But you can you can refute it. Um, John, <laughs> it's not about refuting. We won't yes. like you, yeah. but you yes. can refute yeah. it. Yes, uh, John six thirty seven. However, those that the Father has given me into the mic. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do what I want. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them to eternal life at the last day. Um, Supremacy of Christ, he mentioned it. Like, it trumps everything. Um, It would be arrogant to say that we can save ourselves. The Bible is clear on that. We cannot. Can we undo it? I know we're mm-hmm. debating. Can yeah. we? And, um, I should raise them to eternal life at the last day. Um, I don't know. Yeah. The, these are so there, there's there's two things about the the mm-hmm. concept of those who have been given to me, mm-hmm. and uh, throughout the New Testament, there's this there's this repeating concept of the elect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, it's only in a few places. I think it's like seven verses that mm-hmm. deal with with the concept of the elect. And so, when you hit, when you deal with the the, the idea of God being the same yesterday, today, and forever, mm-hmm. God does not change. Mm-hmm. So you have God's people, Israel, were the elect of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you you got to deal with the question in ter- the term of of election within the New Testament. You have Romans. It's like uh, eight, nine, and ten. Eight, mm-hmm. nine, ten, and eleven. Um, where Paul is talking about um, about the elect, that's a t- is typically where the Calvinistic argument comes from in those mm-hmm. particular chapters. And the word election, you can only apply it one of two ways. It is either the individual who is elect, but it's being talked about in a corporate way. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you say the word believer, um, it can be a group of believers, or it can be a a, a believer. So you can apply it in a couple different ways. Um, but in the context of a sentence, you can only apply it in one. 
meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so the application of that term throughout Scripture is essentially the same. And so the question is, in the Old Testament times, if the elect of God were the Jewish people, were all of the Jewish people welcomed into heaven? No. Some of them got swallowed by the, by earth. By their then, actions, mm-hmm. right? Because they, because they rejected mm-hmm. the word of God that was placed in front of them. Mm-hmm. So now translate that into the Gentile church. So when you have Paul writing to the churches, he uses the term uh, the elect, but the, the, the interesting thing about it is that he's never talking to a person. Mm-hmm. He's always talking to an, he, uh, he's never talking to an individual. He's always talking to a group of people. And you don't know what group he's, uh, so he would write circuit letters, so they would be read at multiple churches. So when he's talking about the elect among us, or God's elect, in, in my opinion, he's always talking about the church. He's talking about the ecclesia of God, the gathering of, of the people. And a lot of times when we deal with Jesus talking about this, um, when he's talking about those, those, those granted to me, people, you can either apply it in the same way where it is, um, it is those who God has chosen before the foundations of the earth for salvation and they belong to me. Mm-hmm. So it is my responsibility not to lose any of them. But that wording is very difficult. My responsibility not to lose any of them. Now, hang on. If they were given to you before the, the foundations of the earth, you can't lose any of them. Do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there is a hope in that section, but at the same time, you can also apply that same Greek term to uh, those given to Christ as it is still the church. Mm-hmm. It is the ecclesia of God. Those who have have um, given themselves over to the discipleship of Christ, those who have yeah. said yes to the call. Um, I find myself, um, and it's not everybody, um, I find that to be much more consistent with the character and nature of God throughout Scripture, then, then God, for lack of a better phrase, cherry picking people mm-hmm. throughout throughout history. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it, that comes back to another problem: if God knows the beginning from the end, mm-hmm. and He knows who's he, so God is outside of time. So as far as He's concerned, time has already ended. Mm-hmm. So He knows who's going to get saved, and He knows who's not. And so, but is there a difference between knowing and choosing? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's the issue. So, a lot of times when when we're referencing once saved, always saved, there's plenty of people that believe in free will. Mm-hmm. My circle of friends mainly um, believe in free will, but also believe that in the once saved, always saved. So it's not necessarily just a Calvinistic argument of once right. saved, always saved. Yep. So I believe, in a nutshell, I chose. Not God chose me. I believe I chose. Mm-hmm. I know I could be wrong, but I chose to become a Christian. At the moment that I was, I made that choice. I was sealed as a member of God's family. Mm-hmm. Um. So I reference Saul. I can reference David. What if David died shortly after he committed the sin with Bathsheba and killed Uriah? Was he then lost? For mm-hmm. such an egregious turn from God, would he have been lost? I believe he was sealed because he had come to a point in his life that God is my king, even though I royally messed up. Yeah. Well, we have to remember I, at those that point in time in history, um, redemption was very different yes. than it is today. Yes. It was it was sacrificial. Yes. So as long as you're as long as your sacrifices, so so to speak, were up to date, um, you were you were covered. You know, and there was a, it was a repentance was a, was a different. But did Saul sacrifice on his own? 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the priest offered sacrifices daily. Yes. You know, um, for the for the for the sins of people. Um, but the, the the interesting thing is when David was was presented with his sin, he repented. Yes. You know, he repeat, he understood he had violated before he had violated, violated the law of God. Um, when you think of um, Joseph. When Potiphar's wife said, you know, sleep with me, he's like, no, this would be a violation right. against the standards of God. So there was an understanding even well, that before was, the Lord. That is my perspective is when you are truly a Christian and if you're sealed by God and you can't lose your salvation, there's going to come a point that if you are living in sin, you're like, okay, something's not right. I'm being convicted. I have to move out where if... Um, I remember a discussion I had with my wife about whether someone was saved, and she said, yeah, he, he went forward at, at something, and I said, he's living with a girl, he's at the bar every Saturday night, and has not attended church in years. I said, yes, you can have an emotional response to something, doesn't mean you're necessarily saved. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen, you know of authors, great Christian authors that have rejected their faith. Well, were they truly saved? That's where, I don't know. And... That's easy yeah. to see with some people. That's Other people, you don't. Yeah. Yep, that's the challenge. And the, the difference is, what's the difference? Is there a difference between the people who make a confession of faith, because we'll talk about confessions of faith here later, who make a confession of faith and stick to it, and those who make a confession of faith and fall away, like the, like the seeds thrown by the, by the wayside. They spring up real fast, but they got no root, so they, so they, you know, they, they wither away. Uh, it's interesting how you know it's still that same process um where where is the reality myself i lean on the the, i lean on the idea that uh staying close to christ is 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 something i have to choose to do you know i would love to think that i'm just i'm just going to be there just fine um, you know, uh, if I, even if I make it by the skin of my teeth, I made it. Well, I think that but. attitude, if someone has that, is not saved. Yeah. You know, if I'm just going to, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Good, I'm, let the party begin. Yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I was listening to John Piper talk about his son Abraham, who went yeah. way off. Yeah. Uh, and he says, you know, I just had to come to an, to an understanding that, uh, that my son was just not one of the elect. I was like... Oh. That was a bit casual. <laughs> you know, it's a little, a little too, eh, you know, it's for, for me, but that's, and that's, that a, is, that's a hard way to live. Yeah. I would almost rather, you know, assuming my kids reach that point, I would almost rather look at it and say, okay, they made the choices they made and they've got to live or die with it yeah. rather than saying, eh, God just decided he didn't want them, want to spend eternity with them. Like, yeah. That's not the kind of God I want to follow. Yeah. Uh, just to be honest. But you want their kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the basic idea is, is that it's not an easy question to answer. Um, and there is, um, there is enough biblical precedence to say that the, 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 the idea that God is going to seal you and keep you has merit. But there's also enough biblical evidence to say that you can walk away from your faith if you, if, if you wanted to. No one can say absolutely this is the only way. I lean towards choice. Like that, parable that, of virgins. Uh, yeah. yeah. You need to be prepared. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You're, yes. either, you're either going to be ready or you're not. Yes. And you know? I think to just kind of put a button on it, when Jesus calls us uh, as his disciples, he says, you are my disciples if you keep my commands. Mm-hmm. And the last command he gave before he ascended to heaven was to go into all the nations and make disciples. Yeah. 
And so regardless of what you believe, whether you believe that um, people have a choice or not, whether you believe they're once saved or not, uh, you know, once saved, always saved or not, it is our duty and responsibility to make every effort to reach the people around us for Christ yep. yes. and, and not use our theology as an excuse not to do so. Yeah. Well said. Yep. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to now that we're done fighting. Oh no, there's no fighting involved. Then. <laughs> there will be some church discipline later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those who took Calvinistic. We're giving <laughs> away your seat in the sanctuary, your <laughs> chosen <laughs> seat. That's, That's right. Yes. Uh, oh boy. Um, okay, so this one is uh, is interesting. Uh, this is the second question. It says, I heard someone say lately that there are not multiple sins, but only one sin, the sin of mistaken identity. Is this true or scriptural? And <laughs> I have to admit, when I read this, I was like, oh, good gracious, what is going on? Um, it's just such a weird, so we, it's just stupid. It's just uh, stupid. I'm not um, an adulterer. I'm just having an identity crisis. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well. <laughs> so here, here's, here's, yeah. The, what was the further explanation? Yeah. So here's, here's the basic, the basic premises behind this. There are two sides to this question. Um, first is, uh, is the underlying assumption that sin is a man-made idea. So, uh, all the groups that are, per- that are pushing this are pushing the idea that sin is a man-made idea. Sin does not exist today because Jesus paid for the sins of us all, right? So therefore sin is no longer an issue. So everyone gets to go to heaven. So sin out of, out of, out, uh, you know, uh, sin is out, um, so, um, and basically the other piece of this is it is the fault of churches and organized religion for pushing the idea of a behavioral, of a moral behavioral standard, um, because they want to control people with fear. That, that's the idea that organized religion is bad and they came up with this idea of sin to keep con- control over people. Um, which leads to the second part is this, if we don't remember who we are in Christ, we are all saved, we are all forgiven, we are all made new, we are all new creations, then we fall into the category of uh, trying to live up to a religion. And so they take the Greek word for sin, which is uh, hamartia, uh, and it means to miss the mark, okay? Not to miss the mark. Um, and the application that they're, that they're using is this really loose, <laughs> this really loose application that you have forgotten who you are, and therefore, you have fallen into a behavior you would not have done otherwise. So if you remembered who you were in Christ, forgiven, chosen, set free, made new, all this, then you would not have fallen into that behavior. So the behavior is not the issue. The issue is that you forgot who you are, hence mistaken identity. Okay? So it assumes you're saved to begin with. Everyone is saved. Okay. Everyone goes to heaven. So all I can hear is James Earl Jones and Lion King going, remember who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did, some, did some, some looking into this, and it has become a very popular message around the country. I'm sure it has. There I are, have there, never heard of it. What, the idea of universalism? Uh, which is essentially yeah, what, it is. what it is. Okay. Yeah, but mm-hmm. they're spinning it with a Christian, with a Christian thought process. Us that you know, it's not about getting people to stop sinning. It's about getting people to embrace their identity in Christ. It's a perfect cop out. Yeah, yeah, it sounds so good, you know. Um, but it's, uh, I found dozens, dozens of large churches around the country promoting this new understanding of sin. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, what we need is a new understanding of something that's been around since like day three of existence. Yeah. <laughs> Let's revamp all of that. I can't find yeah. the danger in it. Yeah. Uh, now, as I was looking at this, I was thinking that that um, even if you came at this with the idea that if we truly understood our identity in Christ, we would never engage in sinful acts, even if that was the, the premise, I would still have an issue. Because Adam and Eve knew exactly who they were, right? Mm-hmm. They used to walk in the actual presence of God. They had no questions about their identity, still sinned. Mm-hmm. Because the pull of sin is something that humanity is weak, weak to. So my biggest issue here is how people are trying to couch this whole conversation, is they're trying to say um, that there are not multiple sins, there's only one. So there's only one thing that we need to focus on with everybody, and that is giving one, getting everyone to understand who they are in Christ. So if you just remember that, even if you do something that, and this is how they put it, that someone would call sin because of the book they read, you're still good with, in God's eyes because you've never forgotten your heavenly heritage. So even if you do something sinful, but you remember who you are in Christ, it's okay, you're still good with God because your heavenly heritage is still intact. Uh, uh, what about Ten Commandments? Like that's breaking. Ten. That's Old Testament. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so ten okay, so let's go New Testament and discuss Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> I, you know, um, not, they forgot so, who they were and they died for it. Uh, yeah. Are Are you aware? Maybe you even said it. Um, are you aware what they feel like their identity in Christ is? I mean, other than that, they're a Christian or a child of Christ. Do they believe that they're something greater than that or they are equal with god so there so because of christ you are equal to christ you are a co-heir with christ so would so, they see christ as part of the trinity or an equal with us and god is above that depends or? on which group you're talking to there's one group that would say that there, there's the trinity and then we have been folded into the uh, the mm-hmm. family of god and there's another side of the group um that would say that not that there's the trinity and we have been rolled into the trinity so we're the fourth member of the Trinity, because we because we we have been made in the image of God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you wanted a way to get burned in the, burned at the stake in the 1500s, here's a way to do it. Yeah. Um, so in in my experience, the people who push this, and this is seems to be pretty at, pretty evenly distributed with the people who have been trying to push this around. Um, uh, they're people who do not care about truth or righteousness. Truth and righteousness are not are not things that they actually care about. What they want is fairness and equity. So it's, it it tends to go along with a, a typical woke doctrine. Mm-hmm. So um, they want to feel good about the life they live, and they want to feel they want to be justified in their sin. Um, and because they have a lifestyle, they don't want to let go of. This is how God. You're going to hear a lot of this. This is how God made me. Okay. This is who I am. So this is the motivation for the yes, religion. Yes, okay. this is my identity. Okay. So you can, you'll hear people say things like, my identity in Christ is I am X. I am gay. Mm-hmm. I am trans. I am, an, I, am an, I am an adulterer. I am, you know, I have a problem with stealing, but I'm still, I'm still one of God's people. Like all of this stuff becomes okay as long as you hang on. It's, you know what? I, I have a problem. You know, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. You know, it's kind of like this, this, this idea. It's so frustrating what they're looking for. Universally, I haven't found any exceptions to this. What they're looking for is a license for their lifestyle. 
they're not looking for righteousness because righteousness has to be defined. You have to define what righteousness is, and that means you have to actually have a standard by which other people would would live and would would hold you to. They don't want anything to do with that. You know, they want to just be okay who they are, and you need to you need to accept me as I am um, because that's what Jesus would do. But then uh, there's the other side of the coin too, the the power that comes along with it, that comes along with their identity in Christ. I think of yeah. um, Kenneth Copeland and uh, his, whenever I read in the Bible where it says I am, I just chuckle and say I am too, yep. you know? And it's just that idea of we have become equal with God, yep. um, which is the oldest trick in the book because that's exactly what the serpent tempted them with. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, that, that desire to be like God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the problem is that you have to deny Scripture in order. You have to deny the authority of Scripture in order to hang on to a, a doctrine like this. So go to something really simple like John eight seven. So this is the woman caught in adultery. So there, there are two sides to this. It's really easy to go to verse 11 where it says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Speaking directly of her adultery. That's what they were thinking. Excuse me. But here's the other side of this. In verse 7 it says, So when they continued, to ask, uh, continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin, let him throw the first uh, stone at her. So is this supposed to say, Whichever one of you can remember your identity in God, right. <laughs> feel free to throw the first stone. And if you, so, you know, I've got my Bible tools open here. If you open that up, it really just means without. It doesn't mean he who is not sin or he who, you know, knows who he is. It, it's talking about sin as something you have yep. or have done, not some nebulous concept it's not a mistaken identity it's something you have done or carry or have with you mm-hmm. so you, you can't divorce the two the two concepts and and make sin just some abstract concept some mistaken identity when it's something that you have so you're one of those people who thinks it divorces a sin <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So, so is lying. Uh, you know, it, uh, maybe, maybe sin is the wrong word, but definitely not what God intended. So, um. so yeah, um, when you, you spoke of the motivation was mainly to justify the lifestyle they're in, um, what people need to understand is God did not say things were sin just because he flipped his coin and decided, I'm going to make this sin and I'm going to make this righteous. He knows what brings life he knows what brings prosperity. He knows what brings joy. Not happiness, but joy. And he also knows what brings death and destruction, poverty. Um, you go to nations where there is darkness there and, and, and very little light, the light of Christ. And what do you see? You just see death. You see pain, suffering, um, intense poverty. I mean, just just go down to Haiti and... and that's what you're going to get. And so when the U.S. is pushing out the Bible everywhere they can, and then you mm. wonder why, what's going on, and, and, and why are we, why is the average household in so much debt, and why is, because we have to have everything to make us feel good, and why is, you know, 
the amount of babies being aborted and some of the things that they're discussing as far as death wise. And that's why God said, this is sin. He's not flipping a coin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But sin denotes an absolute standard. And that, that's the thing. It's, it's that idea that it is either his way or not his way. And that, that's, that's the, that's the dividing line. He has the, the absolute standard. He says, I am holy. Yeah. We don't fit into that category at any point. That nope. puts us in a completely outer side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you look at uh, John five fourteen, uh, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. After Jesus, um, after the guy had left, it says uh, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple, the guy he had healed, and he said to him, "Now this 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 is this is a great pas- uh, passage." It says, "See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you." I mean, can you imagine, okay, let's, let's put the, uh, the, the mistaken identity part in there. Jesus found him in the temple and said, don't forget who you are or bad things will happen to you. You know, it's like, well, well what? You, you think of the application of that. That's, that's, that's a ridiculous application. No one would think, don't forget where you live or bad things will happen. No one would ever think that. But 1 John 3, 1 through 9 defines sin for us. Now check this out. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed that we, uh, what we shall be. But we know that, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Purifies himself. Mm-hmm. That means the removal of sin. We know what's impure, and we're moving towards what is pure. Just as he is pure, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. You can't say that forgetting your identity of Christ is lawlessness. Because that, 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 would, that, would, that would demand that our identity in Christ becomes law. You know, you can't have it both ways. This would be a logical fallacy. A sin, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. Jesus came, lived, and died to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither, uh, neither seen him nor know, uh, nor know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness practices. Mm-hmm. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous and he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose the son of god was manifest that he may destroy the works of the devil whoever was uh, born of god does not sin for he for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of god now this is this is a very difficult passage to get past in this idea of yeah sin is a pretty clear thing well, it's not ambiguous. When you consider that word lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness implies that there is a law mm-hmm. that is absent. Having a law implies that there is a lawgiver. And in order to give a law, there must be somebody with the authority over the person that law is being imposed on. Okay, The laws imposed on us are imposed by somebody who has that authority over us. You cannot impose a law on yourself. You impose a decision, you might say, yeah, this is a bad thing for me to do, but it isn't a law. Because who's going to enforce it? You? You're going to punish yourself for 
not doing what you thought you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Like you just snap a rubber band, I guess. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so when we when we speak of law, we speak of a lawgiver. This is who God is. He is the ultimate standard, and he has to be separate from those he's imposing the law on, which means we cannot be God. We cannot be equal with God. It is not our identity. Our identity can be a Christ follower, but it is not Christ himself. Other thoughts? (laughs) Just Abel saying, snapping a rubber band. I remember a story about Muhammad Ali and later in life. If he was tempted to sin, he would strike a match, and they'd be like, "Oh, that fire's hot. I better not sin." Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> now that's rough. <laughs> like, all right, if I can't handle a match, I'm probably not going to handle a lake of burning sulfur. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying but, to remember. Maybe you guys know where it's scripture. It says that no murder or uh, idolater or a fearful or coward will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know. Is it yeah. Revelation? Yeah. revelation? I'm, I'm, okay. I'm going through Revelation, but I can't It's uh, pick it should it be up. chapter 21. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Right around. Well, I know it, it says something similar in 21. Um, uh, verse 8, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Verse 6, 7, 8. It says, He overcomes shall inherit all things. I'll be his God. He shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and broomstone, which is the second death. But what that really means is those people who forget who they are. That's right. As long as we know that. Yes. Yep. (laughs) I think the message of the gospel is only, you know, fully presented if we present this side of actual sin that actually can do this. This is the second death, Mm -hmm. you know. It's not a full message of the gospel because then all we have is a good news. Mm-hmm. So why is it good? Yeah. Well, and if you're talking about salvation, Point. saved from what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, saved, saved from, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, a lack of identity? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, would, that would just be silly. Mm-hmm. Well, and to address the original accusation that, that the concept of sin is just the church trying to impose fear on people. Well, yes, if we read Proverbs... The fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. Mm-hmm. So there is a healthy amount of fear that goes into that first salvation experience mm-hmm. that, that, that transforms into love and, and following the Creator. I, I don't think that you can accept this concept without rejecting the Bible entirely, mm-hmm. I, I, from beginning to end. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. And, and, you know, Abel reference fear of the Lord. Uh, I've heard different people say, well, it's a, a healthy respect for the Lord. If you have that opinion, you have no idea who the Lord is. Yeah. It's not a healthy respect. And there's too many people that have a nice little respect for God, do not know who he is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, me and Jesus have a thing. Yeah. We've, we've worked it out. So you, you might call it sin. I just call it a shortcoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, nope. Still sin. It's uh, pretty, pretty short. Yeah, pretty, pretty shortcoming. Very yep. shortcoming. Yeah, but I've 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 just found that the, the, the people who gravitate towards this are trying to find a way to feel good about a lifestyle that is anti-gospel. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be regenerate. They don't want to be renewed. They don't want to be made into a new person. They don't want to let go of the past. They like their friends. They like their old habits, and they don't want to say they don't have to say no to any of them. They want to be able to embrace fully 
all of the areas of, of, of life that God is trying to get them out of. So you have to redefine the problem so that now what was a problem is no longer. You understand what I mean? And I think that's just a horrible way of viewing, of, of viewing theology. It's, it's not theology at that point. At that point, it's more cultish. But we see it, the work of the enemy here um, in, in, in terms that it is wrapped up in a little bit of talking about Bible and Christ but without any type of responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. at least that's, that's how I see it. He does come as an angel of light. It's not strictly presenting, right. uh, you know, yeah. you can live this lifestyle. But no, it talks about Bible little, very little bit and then completely neglecting the actually what it actually means. So mm-hmm. It would be very comfortable if we could just get saved without having to do anything. Yeah. It would be so awesome. You can do anything you want, live any life you want. I mean, well, and that's what we have to remember about these concepts that seem great at the time. When when we read in Genesis um, three, we read that that the or two, we read that the fruit looked was pleasing to the eye and looked good for food. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it wouldn't have tempted me. I you know, put a bacon tree <laughs> out there, and I would have been all over it. But but it it looked pleasant. It looked desirable, and they wanted it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's how you really get somebody to bite into something, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they were promised something that they that, that people mm-hmm. wanted. You know, you, yep. were, you were promised, and it's interesting. So they were promised the knowledge of good and evil, which they would have gained anyway, just in time. Yep. They were that they, their experience would have taught you what that meant. Spending time with God would have taught you what that meant. So the promise was something that was already theirs, but then they were told that they would be made equal with God. The one who created them. I mean, hmm. what a what a what a piece of arrogance that has to be. You know, not only do I not even understand good and evil, but I want to be like the one who who could tell me. It sounds exactly like this question. Yep. All right. Thank you for sticking around for episode one of this. If you like this, check out episode two. Share it with your friends, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.